Good afternoon, Florida. Live from Studio 67 and the people that brought you Fackish, we are Happy Hour with the Analysts. My name is Jared Grigas. I am here with my colleague Shiloh McPherson. Shiloh, why don't you tell the people a little about yourself? Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. My name is Shiloh. I graduated from the University of Florida in 2020, and I studied economics and African-American studies. And then I had a couple of jobs before coming over to FAC in last year of December and been happier ever since. We are certainly happy to have you, Shiloh. Uh, and live from our nation's capital, we have got our resident Beltway correspondent, Sarah Henley. Sarah, why don't you say hello? Hey, Jared. Good to see you all the way here in D.C. My name is Sarah Henley. I also went to the University of Florida and I graduated with a business management and public health degree back in 2020, just like Shiloh. Never had a graduation, but we won't talk about that today. Um, and I follow federal community urban affairs, anything Eddie Labrador. I'm his analyst. Um, but it's good to be back in the podcasting group. Thank you, Sarah. And as I mentioned, my name is Jared Grigas, and together we are the analysts. Uh, go ahead and kick back, pour yourself a drink, and uh, relax. Uh, we got a great show for you guys today, uh, hitting all the county highlights. Uh, but first, we are going to bring back a classic. It is our question of the week. Twist today is that we will be answering for each other. The question will be, what cocktail would you be? Uh, so Shiloh, why don't you start us off? What cocktail would I be? All right, Jared. <clears throat> you know what I'm gonna say? Old-fashioned all the way. Can't go wrong with some bourbon and a little orange pizzazz. <laughs> Sounds more like Bob, but I will take it. All right. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Sarah, what drink would Shiloh be? That's an easy one. Our Key West girl would definitely be a pina colada. She is chill. She's laid back. She's go with the flow. She's sweet. She's fun. She is a pina colada any day. I love it. I think so. Sarah, Sarah, you ready for yours? I'm ready. Sarah, if she were a cocktail, would be a Guinness. Not actually a cocktail, but a drink. You know what I mean. Sarah studied abroad in Dublin, Ireland, and never misses an opportunity to tell people that or where she would rather be on any given day. Isn't that right, Sarah? Where would I rather be right now, Jared? Probably Dublin. Perfect answer. They do call Tallahassee the uh, Dublin of the South, though. Oh, yeah, I heard it's that. Not I quite true in my <laughs> What's the bar down the road, the Irish bar? Finnegan's Wake. <laughs> there is one Irish bar in Tallahassee. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. It's good, though. We're not sponsored by them or anything. But, Doesn't yeah. maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> Moving Finnegan's. forward, we are getting into some of our uh, uh, legislative updates. Uh, we have a very special, special session to talk about. Uh, I'm going to let Sarah take the lead on that one. Sarah, take us away. Yeah, so moving on, we had our very first special session of this year start last week that was originally supposed to be all about redistricting, a little more on that later. And we've been following redistricting since committee week started in fall of 2021 after the decennial redistricting was completed by the U.S. Census. Florida's total population is 
21,538,187. And we actually gained one congressional seat. And I actually, this is kind of a fun fact, I saw today on CBS News that Florida is the least affordable place to live in the United States. Not necessarily fun, but we're seeing a huge uptick in the Tampa, St. Petersburg metro area. They had about 36,000 residents move from, or a gain in 36,000 residents from 2020 to 2021 in Miami, Florida, as you would assume is the least affordable place to live in Florida. Just a little fact. It is certainly approaching the level of a, a crisis era. Uh, you know, obviously people uh, want to live in the Sunshine State, uh, but with that comes, you know, an, a corresponding increase in, uh, in demand and prices. Um, so, you know, we will see what can be done about that. Um, I think Shiloh has a little more on, uh, on the redistricting uh, update. Shiloh, what's going on there? All right, yes. Lots of updates. So last week we had a special session which was dedicated to passing the congressional maps for redistricting. And the bill passed in the Senate 24 to 15 and the House 68 to 38. But just to give you all some background, during the session earlier this year, the legislature actually approved a map by Senator Rodriguez, Senate Bill 102, which included a primary and secondary congressional plan. However, that bill was vetoed by Governor DeSantis on March 29th, who cited that the 5th Congressional District in both maps violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution because it assigns voters primarily on the basis of race. Now, with a uh, with an election season coming up, I imagine that they want to get this, uh, this redistricting taken care of as soon as possible, right, Shiloh? Yes, for sure. Shiloh, what happened with the House and Senate maps, Florida's House and Senate maps? Were they passed? Yeah, so those already passed in the previous session. And were and do they have to be approved by the governor? Uh, no, they do not. So that is the exception. But yeah, considering that, uh, so this is what made this veto very um, controversial because it prompted a special session. And to ensure the map would be approved, the legislative leadership chose not to produce any maps, instead choosing to wait for the governor to submit a map he would approve for the legislature to pass. The leadership memo sent out members uh, a memo to members, and this was called C0109. Alex Kelly, Governor DeSantis' deputy chief of staff, credited was credited for this map, and he noted in testimony that 10 districts on the map appear identical to districts passed in the previous map during the session earlier this year. The map presented by Alex Kelly reveals an expected increase of four congressional seats held by Republicans from 16 to 20 based on the 2020 election results with changes to Jacksonville, Tampa and Orlando. Sounds like there is a lot going on on that front, Shiloh. Uh, How did the legislators uh, respond uh, to this call uh, as far as, you know, unity or, or lack thereof? So, yeah, the Senate actually approved the maps on Wednesday while there was a halt on Thursday on the House floor. The Democratic caucus gathered in the center of the chambers to express their frustrations with the maps. Republicans called a recess during this time and the Democratic caucus remained on the floor. The speaker then returned and called a vote, which led to the ultimate passing of the maps. And it was definitely a very emotional and very trying time Um, all throughout the week. It's been a very, very difficult issue for every single member because every single individual is going to um, every single individual's district is going to be affected. 
And another thing that was added onto the bill was that the bill passed limits the choice of venue for state court actions, challenging the state's congressional districts to only Leon County. So the bill additionally provides that the state court shall be the court of original jurisdiction on actions challenging the state's congressional districts related to state constitutional or state law grounds. Further, the bill provides that state circuit courts may hear any state constitutional and state law claims or any federal constitutional or federal law claims, so long as those actions are within the jurisdiction of the court. And it's important to note that the Senate also amended the bill to include a severability clause, and they did add a provision that appropriates $1 million to the Department of State for litigation expenses stemming from court challenges to the congressional map. So as we know, there are lawsuits in place the state will be using those. Exactly. And the governor actually signed the maps the day after uh, it was passed in the House. So this was last Friday. And since then, there has been a lawsuit filed on behalf of several parties, such as the Black Voters Matter Capacity Building Institute and the League of Women Voters, amongst several other parties. Where can we find the maps, Shiloh? Uh, Those can be found at floridaredistricting.gov. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the maps in the next few weeks here. I know with the primary elections coming up, those maps are needed ASAP. So we will be following that in the next few. We will be following that, and I'm sure it will be in the news to come. Yes, for sure, Sarah. Some people might say that that would be magical if that happened. Speaking of magic... On Tuesday, the governor amended the call for special session to include a review of the independent special districts and to also remove the theme park exclusion in the social media platform definition. The bill called for the reviewal of these independent districts by Senator Bradley, and it essentially would dissolve certain independent special districts created by special act prior to November 5th, 1968, that have not been reestablished, re-ratified, or otherwise reconstituted by a special act or general law since. They will be dissolved by June 1st, 2023. And the following districts impacted include Bradford County Development Authority, Bradford County, Sunshine Water Control District, Broward County, East Point Water and Sewer District, Franklin County, Hamilton County De- Development Authority, Hamilton County, Marion County Law Library, Independent Special District, Marion County, and in review of the list of special districts available from the Department of Economic Opportunity, the following two districts may also be impacted by the legislation, and that includes Ocala Downtown Development District and Taylor County Development Authority. And finally, The main reason and the biggest district that it impacts is the Reedy Creek Development District, a.k.a. a special district controlled by Disney. And as many are aware, there has been controversy with Disney over the past few weeks after Disney spoke out against HB 1557. So Shiloh and Jared have to ask, prior to special session, did you all know what Reedy Creek Development District was? You know, Sarah, uh, full disclosure, I I was not all that familiar. Uh, What's going on is fascinating uh, that, you know, it took them three days to undo what's what's been in existence for, what, 60 years now? 50 years? 55 years, Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting history. What about you, Shiloh? Yeah, I had no idea that Disney had its all um, a whole 
all of their public works and a tax system set aside that was different from uh, any form of local government. So that was very surprising to me. Yeah, I'm sure it's surprising to a lot of Floridians because I think most of us aren't aware of what it is or what their functions are. So Reedy Creek Development Development District was created in 1967, four years before the opening of our very own Magic Kingdom in 1971. And Disney essentially through the charter created its own form of progressive government. And it encompasses approximately 25,000 acres in both Orange and Osceola County and two cities, Bay Lake and Lake Buena Vista. The district is responsible to oversee land use and environmental protections and provide essential public services. So think fire protection, emergency medical services, water production, treatment, storage, pumping, reclaimed water, chilled and hot water system, wastewater, drainage, flood control, electric power, and solid waste and recyclables, disposable, and they maintain all public roadways and bridges. So yes, they do a lot of things and they additionally use their funds it funds its operations and services by assessing taxes and fees to the district's landowners and by issuing ad valorem and utility revenue bonds. And there is a five member board of supervisors elected by landowners that govern the district. So that is actually similar to a board of county commissioners. That is certainly a lot going on, Sarah. Uh, I imagine that the the happiest place on earth is uh, probably not too happy about this. But uh, what does the transition plan look like going forward as far as, uh, you know, where are all those assets and responsibilities and and bond debt going? I don't think there is necessarily a transition plan just yet. I think the biggest thing with this dissolution is it takes away Disney's control. The reason Reedy Creek is such a big deal is Disney has all of their control. They're able to eliminate eliminate layers of red tape during uh, infrastructure and construction processes. They review all their building codes. They issue permits. They speed up the process without having to go to the county or the city or even the state and deal with all those shareholders involved. So I think everyone is still assessing the financial impact, but there's potential for this to cause taxpayers in the surrounding areas a significant amount of money. I know Disney has an estimated $1 billion in debt obligations, and they spend about $160 million a year on public services reported by the Washington Post. So, you know, these government bodies could be forced to assume some of those responsibilities, and there's a lot of questions on if this will be outstanding debt to our state or to those areas surrounding. So, should be interesting. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, obviously, it is Disney primarily in the crosshairs here. Uh, but, you yeah. know, what is the outlook like for those other five or six, uh, you know, special districts? Yeah, that's also to be determined. I think for those other districts, most of them will reestablish when it hits June 1st, 2023. And I'm sure that either Disney will or Disney will get involved with a lawsuit of sorts. Um, but they, it seems as those most of those other districts will try to reestablish, but there is some concern about continuity of the authorities, real estate and cash assets. There's a lot of unanswered questions. I know Disney has already said that they, um, 
have broken their agreements. There was an impairment of contract or pledged the state had made to them back in 1967. Therefore, this act by the legislature was not legal. So we can assume there will definitely be a fight. And it was done swiftly and quickly in those three days. But I'm sure we will be following it because this is affecting our county family for sure. And one other bill that came up this session dealt with the theme park exclusion in the social media platform definition. SB 6C amended a bill that was passed during the 2021 legislative session, SB 7072, and it was signed into law by the governor in May 2021. That bill required social media platforms to apply uniform standards, notify censored or deplatform users, allow users to make certain choices, ensure posts by or about candidates for office in Florida are not shadow banned and ensured the journalistic enterprises are not censored or deplatform. So that bill removed a theme park exclusion that was in the bill and it had to do with Disney Plus streaming. We certainly appreciate that update, Sarah. There is a lot of moving parts here. Uh, It definitely does seem like it was, you know, shoot first and aim later. Uh, So we will certainly keep an eye on that going forward. Uh, Shifting gears a little bit, uh, we're going to talk American Rescue Plan. Uh, This was the $1.9 trillion stimulus package uh, that the legislature, that Congress uh, passed uh, last year. Um... Among the, the, the primary components of, of that package uh, was what's called the State and Local Fiscal Recovery Funds. Uh, that's about a $350 billion uh, chunk of funds all going to state and local governments uh, by, you know, proportionally by population. Uh, what that means for Florida is about $4.2 billion for uh, our county family. Um, the Treasury recently released uh, the final rule guidelines uh, kind of governing the, the uses of these funds going forward. Uh, last year, we saw the interim final rule. Uh, and in the meantime, the Treasury uh, has been kind of taking feedback regarding, uh, you know, uses of these funds and the guidelines. Uh, and so they have updated the the final rule a little bit uh, and it is now in its its polished uh, version Uh, and what this means uh, for uses of funds going forward is a lot more simplicity and flexibility uh, in the spending um, for you know these these recipients um, to kind of do as they please with the funds there's obviously limitations Um, one of the primary uh, use categories is uh, what's called revenue loss replacement Uh, essentially any amount of money uh, that was you know, can be tied back to uh, the economic impacts of the pandemic, uh, you are eligible to, you know, replace that uh, and spend it on, you know, appropriate government services uh, going forward. Um, For some counties that don't, you know, want to go through the hassle of of calculating uh, their revenue loss, um, there is a $10 million, excuse me, uh, standard allowance, that is a new feature of the final rule, uh, and essentially this this just gives them, you know, this assumes roughly $10 million uh, of revenue loss. Uh, so for a lot of counties to not have to, you know, go through the hassle of calculating that, uh, that's going to be a, a really nice option uh, with, with streamlined reporting requirements as well. Uh, there are some limitations as far as the spending there. Uh, no debt service or, you know, filling up your financial reserves uh, cannot be used to um, 
inflate your pension fund uh, for un unfunded liability, uh, as well as no no payment of settlements or uh, judgments uh, in the criminal or not criminal in the <laughs> civil courts. Uh, excuse me. Uh, beyond that, there's a couple other uh, use categories that the final rule enumerates. Uh, we've got public health and e economic impact responses, uh, premium pay uh, for all of our you know, critical frontline workers. Uh, there is a, a small exception to this that there can't be uh, premium pay for any workers working remotely. And the other two are water and sewer infrastructure and then broadband, which I, I think the uh, pandemic really highlighted kind of the need for an expansion of, of broadband services as far as, uh, you know, educational opportunities uh, and kind of getting out some important public health messaging. Um, so that is the final rule. Uh, a lot of counties and other recipients already have shovels in the ground on projects for this one. Uh, so we are keeping a close eye on that uh, for any, you know, massive success stories. Uh, so we would certainly love to hear uh, your success stories and your feedback uh, regarding your uses of these funds. Um, like I said, there, there's a lot of really remarkable, innovative stuff going on right now. So uh, we will be highlighting that going forward. Awesome. Thank you, Jared. And on the broadband note, just want to give you all a heads up that our broadband champion, Jeff, will, and I will be attending the Broadband Community Summit in Houston next week. So we're looking forward to learning more about some important solutions that are happening in the broadband world and bringing, back, bringing them back over to Florida. That is an exciting opportunity, Shiloh. Hope you guys uh, pick up some good notes. Uh, don't work too hard and make sure to eat some good Tex-Mex for us. Oh, 100%. I'll try and bring some back to y'all. Definitely send me a brisket to Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and wrapping up to our county shout-out segment, we have a new segment on the podcast, county shout-outs. We're going to be highlighting projects, funding and innovative things going on counties across Florida. So Jared, take us away. Thank you, Sarah. Our county of the week is Dixie County. Dixie County just pumped $3.7 million into its emergency operations center, uh, state-of-the-art facility in Cross City. Uh, and it, it's going to be just instrumental as far as, you know, responding to uh, fire and, and flooding crises moving forward. Uh, that is an area that was you know, really struck pretty hard by Hurricane. I believe it was Hermine a couple of years back. Uh, and so this goes a long way uh, to kind of, you know, mending some of the wounds of that and, and hopefully being, uh, you know, prepared going forward uh, for these, you know, horrible tragedies. Um, so Dixie County, we cheers to you. Thank you for that, Jared. And a few announcements for the week. Our 2022 annual conference and educational exposition is on June 28th through July 1st at the Hyatt Regency Orlando in the beautiful Orange County, Florida. We got a couple of great keynote speakers, Jim Cantori and Admiral Peter Cressy. I don't know about you guys, but I watch Jim Cantori and Stephanie Abrams every single day growing up on the Weather Channel. So that'll be fun to see them. And we have a great and we have a couple great workshops planned, including an American Rescue Plan Act ARPA workshop. I'm sure you'll see Jared at and Access 67, Closing the Digital Divide and Cybersecurity Workshops. I'm sure you'll see Shiloh at and a lot more. 
And also something important to note is this week, the governor issued another proclamation calling for a special session to consider legislation related to property insurance. And it also included topics ranging from reinsurance changes to the Florida building code to improve the affordability of property insurance, the office of insurance regulation, civil remedies and appropriations. So this special session will convene on Monday, May 23rd until Friday, May 27th. So we will definitely be keeping an eye out on that special session. It will be good to be back. Uh, I believe that is all we had for you guys today. Uh, So until next time, this has been Happy Hour with the Analysts. And remember, every hour is Analyst Hour.